0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Achoo! Podcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 557 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Nerds, my name's Matt Vaughn. And I am the
1: Internet's Joe Patrick. It is back to business here in the Ziggurat. And this week, our review spotlight shines on the first issue of James Tinian, The Force, Batman Run, and the newest addition to Joe Hill's Not an Imprint at Hill House, Daphne Byrne. After that, it's Cocktail O'Clock as we review eight more of this week's new comics during this week's ludicrous Speed Round.
0: (laughs) It was a couple of this week. Sorry about that. (laughs) Then it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we're rapping about our must-read comic picks for next week. And finally, it is time to play Who the Hell is This Guy? The Request Edition, where our very own comic historian and rival podcaster lays out the history of Red Wolf. But... Before we tear down the Xmas lights and get ready for the long, punishing, 45-degree climate change winter on the prairie, we better talk about this week's nerd news. It could be worse, we could be on fire. Oh, for sure. So, no complaints, folks. No complaints. Uh,
1: Jake Gyllenhaal is developing a film adaptation of Alison Bechtel's autobiographical Fun Home.
0: This is from the Jake and
1: Maggie desk. The Jake and Maggie desk.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, Halls is reportedly producing the film through his film Shingle, which is a term I hate, Nine Stories Productions. Uh, the is that Spider-Man- a Hollywood
0: term that I don't know?
1: A yeah, Shingle? A uh, Shingle. Production Shingle, yes. Oh, gross. Yeah, it makes it seem like a disease. Yeah, like that old people get under their armpits. <laughs> The Spider-Man Far From Home actor is reportedly playing Bechtel's father, Bruce, in the adaptation.
0: Spoiler Uh, alert, it's not a fun home. No, it is
1: not. Uh, The the award-winning 2006 graphic novel memoir chronicles the author's childhood and youth in rural Pennsylvania, uh, United States. Focusing on her complex relationship with her father... The book addresses themes of sexual orientation, gender roles, suicide, emotional abuse, dysfunctional family life, and the role of literature in understanding oneself and one's family. Fun Home was previously adapted into a critically acclaimed Broadway musical in 2013. It was, bound to, be, it was bound to be a movie eventually.
0: It won awards. It actually came to town, and they did a version of it at the Playhouse. The community playhouse, Red right by house, and uh, Casey was involved with UNMC, and she had several different local artists there that were drawing and talk about comics. It was really cool, and it was a very good show. Heavy. yeah. This is heavy. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah, Fun Home is a big deal. You're not going into this one to have a good time, but you are going to learn a lot. It's a really important story. It, uh, we didn't review Fun Home on the show, did we?
1: Uh, no, it came out
0: years ago. Yeah, but we were around. You know, I don't know. I didn't know if we did that as one of our trade paperbacks. Or not. We I can't definitely did not. I don't think we did. We probably should closer to the movie, actually. That's a good excuse. We'll do it closer to the movie. <laughs> sure, yeah. It, we may go. Have, it may have even come. Well,
1: wait, hold on. It came out in 2006. Our podcast came out in 2009. So it predates the 2 headed Nerd.
0: Yeah, math doesn't add up at all. Yeah, okay. I don't get it. All right. Yeah! From the bulletin bandolier desk, Profit Returns. Rob Leefield has revealed plans to revive his creator-owned character Profit in 2020. On his Facebook page, Leefield revealed plans to bring back the character series and celebrate a milestone, Issue 50. Was there really that many issues of Profit, or are they counting the ones from the Profit relaunch recently? Uh, no, there were not that many issues of 50. No, there's no way. And if you right? keep reading, you will learn that. Okay, here's a quote. From Leafield. Oh man, 2020 is going to really pick up steam for John Prophet. His 50th issue is incoming and it's loaded with goodies. I read an outline for the feature film before the holidays and I'm thrilled what's in store. This one is full speed ahead. His 27th year will be his most exciting to date. Check back Monday for details. Now, it is unclear how Leafield came up with the profit title hitting the 50 issue mark, seeing as the last ongoing ended at 45, but the story was continued in a separate six issue series. So. but
1: the, I think that is that is counting the weird reboot, the weird Brandon Graham reboot from some years ago.
0: I will go as far as to say the only version of Prophet that I ever enjoyed.
1: Well, yeah, sure. Yeah, it was uh, great. So, how he got to number
0: 50 is a total bamboozler. <laughs> Fair enough The movie Lee Field refers to is one in development with Studio 8 Who produced White Boy Rick Which wasn't as good as I wanted it to be That shingle What is with all the shingle? I hate that shit Gross Picked up the film rights to profit back in 2018 So this is not in production yet What is White Boy Rick? It was Matthew McConaughey and I can't remember the kid that was in it But uh, it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. I think they thought it was going to win some awards and stuff like that, but meh. You know, Mm. what can you do? I don't believe that the Prophet movie is in production. I'm not sure what math he did to figure out that this is Prophet issue 50. This is uh, Marvel, Marvel math for sure. There's also no mention of who is going to be doing it, but I sincerely hope... It's not Rob Leefield, And this is not to bag on Rob Leefield, but his recent comics <laughs> yeah, are not good. Yeah, They're just like, not good. If they
1: were going to say, yeah, it's, it's Brandon Graham and Simon Roy bringing back Profit
0: for issue 50, I'm in. Completely in. And that Profit series they did was amazing. Absolutely amazing stuff. But it was so far away from... I mean, the actual 90s, profit. Yeah, right. From the 90s yeah, character right. that was basically cable with a different haircut
1: with like a bunch of like weird uh, Tylenol gel packs attached to right. his bandolier.
0: So here's to hoping that they're going to go for the coolest part of the profit stuff. Yeah, I sure, guess yeah. we'll fingers, see. Fingers I crossed. Like if, I feel like if they were, maybe Brandon Graham's name would have popped up in this announcement. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: from the Dead Mutant Desk, the second trailer, and the first since 2017.
0: I think this would be the ghost of the Sony mu- of the Sony X-Men. <laughs> from the days
1: of Future Past Desk, the second trailer <laughs> and the first from 2017 for 20th Century Fox's new mutants film has been released, and with it, the Demon Bear and a glimpse at the Teen Mutants' own powers. Fox has also released a new version of the existing poster with the current release date of April 3rd, replacing the old 2019 date. The studio has also wiped clean all of the existing posts on the film's official social media accounts and replaced them with the new trailer. They have basically salted the earth and pretended like the old release dates don't exist. There is no way any of this is good. According to Fox, New Mutants is due out in theaters April 3rd. I watched the trailer, did you?
0: I watched the trailer, and it it looks perfectly cool, but it's not hard to make a good trailer. It just isn't. What worries me is there's a ton of reshoots, a ton of writers' names on this project, and now all of a sudden, boom, it's coming out April 3rd? That's real quick here. And with very little fanfare and a big mess in the past as to where it was going to go, why it was being held back. There's just way too much going against this. There's no way this is good. It's going to be a mess. It's only it's only three months in the future. This is Uh, going to be a mess. Well, let's just look at the trailer. The trailer was pretty awesome. The trailer doesn't look bad at all. But again, if your trailer looks bad, that's a whole different story. <laughs> we've seen plenty of movies with a kick-ass-looking trailer that turn out to be a piece of crap. This just—all signs point to train wreck here. As far as everything we've covered up to this, does the trailer look good? Now, sure.
1: I don't know if I—I I don't know if I necessarily agree because the only thing we know about the new mutants movie is that it has—it has been constantly delayed.
0: Which, yeah, for all manner of reasons, such as rewrites, reshoots, bringing on new people to punch up the script. But what What? if it was more because of the
1: Fox business deal than the actual movie?
0: I don't understand how that would have anything to do with it. If it it had anything to do with the Fox business deal, I would think they wouldn't be able to put it out. Because that deal's done. It's over. They don't have it anymore. So the fact that this is even coming out is their last gasp. Like, "Eh, we'll make a few million dollars on it. Why not? (laughs) <laughs> hmm. i think this is trouble real trouble
1: I, I mean i don't disagree but looking at
0: the trailer it actually does seem like kind of an entertaining movie i i hope so i just i'm telling you i am if you want to put a bet on this one i would say the rotten Tomatoes st- score south of 50 you want to go north you want to take the over yeah i'll take the over Okay, nerd nerd bet. I'm saying south of 50, you're saying north of 50.
1: Nerd bet on. I I think that this movie- 50%
0: is is a push, so.
1: I think that this movie (laughs) is the victim of the Disney buyout, and uh, that it's going to be better than we think.
0: But didn't this movie start production before that was even mentioned? I mean, there was no Disney buyout in the future when they started this movie. I'm holding out hope. (laughs) I don't know, man. I'm Like, they showed me Sunspot. He was
1: black. He punched stuff. It looked Uh, cool. I'm uh, just afraid a lot of that. Ilyana
0: had a soul sword. I mean, come on. I'm just afraid a lot of that is getting crushed in there when they went, all right, let's reshoot some shit. This sucks. (laughs) Arya Stark turned into a werewolf. I mean, what war do you want? I get it. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while checking out the Reddit Arya Stark Furry Wolvesbane porn. So hit us up on the THN forum's big news section or better yet, Tune in to Cover to Cover. We do it live every Saturday. But we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11 to noon Central Standard Time. It is more constructive than assassinating a Latvian general and assuring Dr. Doom, you don't want a war and you control the content. This week, we are talking about comics that were based on movies, TV, books, or video games. And we've already talked about our favorites. We want to hear about the worst call us live on the ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page if you cannot be there live you can leave us a message at any time day or night or you can send us an mp3 to two nerd at gmail.com
1: It's spotlight review time in The cigarette where this week Matt is spending the night in the Hill House again, and I am checking out the new Wayne Manor caretaker. Matt,
0: tell these kids about the scary story you read, but don't get too creepy. I know, you're a big horror baby. This week, I read Daphne Byrne. It's spelled so Irish that every time I look at it, I'm like, I cannot be how I'm saying that. <laughs> right. Number one from D.C. Hill House. It's written by Laura Marks with art by Kelly Jones. 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. In the gaslight splendor of the late 19th century New York, rage builds inside a 14-year-old Daphne. The sudden death of her father has left her alone with her irresponsible grief-stricken mother who becomes easy prey for a group of occultists promising to contact her dead husband. While fighting to disentangle her mother from these charlatans, Daphne begins to sense a strange, insidious presence in her own body, an entity with unspeakable appetites. What does brother want? And could she even stop him if she tried? I'm not going to go. I just told you who wrote it. But I will say, Laura Marks worked on TV's Ray Donovan. She also worked on The Expanse and The Good Fight. And all three of those shows totally kick ass. That's why you should pay attention here. Now, I love Kelly Jones' weird, creepy art. And I think I was first infected by his heavy blacks, clenched jaws, and pointy ears back in the 1991 Batman Dracula Red Rain comic. I remember seeing that cover and needing more of Jones' art in my collection. He has an instantly recognizable style that just oozes with horror. So when I heard Jones was back in the monthly penciling horror biz, I could not have been more excited. There are few horror artists that can make a panel featuring, say, curtains or tree roots look absolutely menacing. Maybe Mike McNola or Richard Corbin are on that short list. Jones' art is just as good, scary, and gross as I remember. He spills blacks on the pages to surround and trap his characters, and it works so well. Mark's story is a celebration of Victorian horror via EC Comics and sets Daphne, an intelligent outsider, down a path to supernatural horror. I like that Hill House has been conscious of the genre of each title that they're putting out. Daphne seems to be the classic horror comic that's going to explore ghosts, ghouls, and other supernatural nastiness where you have, like, Basketful of Heads is very 70s grindhouse. It's like they're thinking about this. Unlike most modern horror comic stories, Mark doesn't throw you face first into the gore, but instead paces the story to develop Daphne and her mother's character. As the spooky bits begin to show up, Jones slowly ratchets up the creep factor on his art, adding more blacks to make each panel increasingly claustrophobic. And by the end, in true classic horror cinema fashion, both the reader and Daphne are questioning whether what they saw was real or a dream, and I am on board to find out. Now, I am by no means a Puritan. But it's nice to read a comic that understands horror doesn't have to show you extreme gore and nudity to create a good scare. This is solid, eerie, supernatural comic book storytelling by creators that belong in this wheelhouse. Daphne Byrne is another great addition to the Hill House stable of horror, and it gets a buy it.
1: You know, it didn't grab me as much as it grabbed you. Hmm. Um uh, like, I love Kelly Jones. I really do. Do you think do. it's like an
0: intelligence thing? or like... Yeah, you're much
1: smarter than I am. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, I think that the script didn't show me enough. Really? Yeah. And, and like, and I agree. I agree with what you said about like not every horror story needing to be full of gore or, or needing to explain the whole plot right off the bat. But I just felt like... So much of the book was spent with Daphne, like doubting what was going on, that I just, it just did not click with me when it actually became real.
0: I guess in my mind, I liked how she was doubting everything that was going on because of her character, but something happens that she cannot deny in the end that is shaking her as well. And I kind of like that aspect of it, you know?
1: Yeah, totally fair. I'm just, uh, it just, it clicked with me a little bit differently. Uh, I loved the art. I loved the art. Kelly Jones. This is some of the
0: best looking Kelly Jones stuff I've seen in a while.
1: Kelly Jones is a master of gothic horror, and that cannot be denied. Um, I I think he's at his best here. Um, The story, I just need a little bit more from the story to hook me. I'm giving it a very strong skim it. Uh, because I did enjoy it, but I just was not, like, as wrapped up in it as I was with, uh, for example, Basketful of Heads
0: or Fair enough. Uh, the
1: Dollhouse Family.
0: Joe Patrick, didn't we just leave this party? Tell me about Batman 86. You know what?
1: We left this party. We went out to the car, but I turned around and I went back because I heard somebody calling
0: my name. It was a weird party when we left, honestly. It was, yeah. It, <laughs> it was, was. kind of weird. It's Kite Batman. Man was there. It was weird. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, it's Batman 86
1: from DC Comics, written by James the four, with art by Tony Daniel, Danny Mickey, and Tomu, Tomu More on colors. Here's your solicit. It's a new day in Gotham City, but not the same old Batman with Bane vanquished and one of his longtime allies gone. Batman has to start picking up the pieces and stepping up his game. Batman has a new plan for Gotham City, but he's not the only one. Deathstroke has returned as well, under a mysterious new contract that could change everything. James Tinney and the Four is graduating to head writer of the flagship Bat title here, following a years-long run by Tom King that hasn't actually ended yet.
0: Might not ever end. We it might know. not
1: ever end. Yeah, correct. <laughs> uh, that said, Bane has been defeated, and there's a new hope for Gotham as it's being rebuilt thanks to the resources of Wing Enterprises. Tinian doesn't actually give us a ton of detail about the Bat Family's new status quo other than, th- other than the notion that Bruce is much more willing to throw billion-dollar tech to the wall to see what sticks. There's a weird, like, nightcrawler... A uh, bat wing that climbs it's up walls. Yeah, yeah, it is a, a thing. whole thing.
0: <laughs> uh, and it seems like like maybe it is one use only. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know I mean? A lot of a lot of like single use tech
1: in this. Yeah. comic. <laughs> Tinian writes a convincing Batman slash Bruce Wayne that's reeling from recent events, uh, even momentarily forgetting recent traumas. He accidentally calls Lucius Alfred, which I thought was very affecting. Lucius Fox is an excellent foil for Batman, acting as the voice of reason in the absence of Alfred Pennyworth, R.I.P. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of talk online about Tony Daniel, who has been a part of the Batman adventures since before the New 52 began. Yeah. Daniel's pencils with inks by Danny Mickey and colors by Tomi Umore don't exactly reinvent the wheel here however their dynamic take on the dark knight shines in this issue if i had one complaint it's that daniel's treatment of civilian characters feels a little awkward uh, they've got a they've got some weird heads and some very samey faces
0: yeah i'll give you that
1: uh, otherwise though i thought the ex- i thought the art was excellent all around Batman 86 doesn't exactly break new ground, but it does open up a new chapter in the life of the Dark Knight detective. One I am eager to explore in the months to come. I'm giving it a buy it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know what I was expecting here. I think every time a new creator comes on to a major title like X-Men or Batman or Superman or Captain America or whatever, we expect this huge Issue one shift in character and change in story. It was not
1: like a huge
0: dynamic paradigm shift. It wasn't at all. Maybe that is because we've been reading James Tinian's Batman elsewhere for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, with that said, I did really enjoy this. I thought it was a solid Batman book that didn't leave me hanging or... Sort of wincing with some of the dialogue or wondering how many single page spreads we're gonna get with yeah, one right. box of dialogue. Like that Tom there was, King was no doing. there was no poetry. <laughs> this is a nice break from what Tom King was doing, and it is just straight superhero Batman. Right. Which we haven't had for a little while. Yep. So I really like that. I thought Tony Daniel was amazing here. Absolutely amazing. I, I think his action sequences with Batman in costume were Fan-tastic. exceptionally well done. Fantastic. The yeah. fight with Deathstroke was just panel for panel, totally badass. And we haven't seen that for a while. So while you you're right, it's not re you know, inventing Batman with a Batman book. This is a very strong, straight superhero Batman issue with great action and great art. I'm also giving a buy it. I hope that Tinian is building to something that he can really make his, you know, as opposed to just giving us solid Batman. Do yeah, something, I mean, make a statement, it, let's it, see something, you know?
1: It is really hard not to think that the rumors are true and that Tinian is just marking time until issue 100 or whatever. We'll see, uh, and, and that the could big, be the it. The big 5G relaunch or whatever you call it.
0: That could be it. Uh, but, I mean, if it's this good, I'm all right with it. I would just like to see him leave us with a Batman run that we can say, Hell yeah, that Tinian run that kicked ass. You've gotta read that. Pick that yep. up. He deserves that. It was good.
1: So that is a buy it and a skim it for Daphne Byrne number one and a double buy-it for Batman 86. We'll post our written reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com so Tom King can spam our comment section with disgusting
0: gifts. The guy loves barf gifts. It's so gross. He really does. But we need
1: to know what you nerds thought of these comics, too, so call this weekend on THN Cover to Cover at its regular new time of 11 a.m. to noon Central Standard Time.
0: Before we leap into the ludicrous speed round, let's turn it over to the official THN bartender, Mr. Justin Robert Fletcher, to introduce the cocktail of the week brought to you by O'Carrant on the Benson Strip right here in Omaha, one of Casey and I's favorite place to have a lovely dinner. I should say, yippee kaye, mister Fletcher. <laughs> All right. Um, this week, do you have a name? Do you have hey, a actually, name? I didn't have one picked out. Yeah, uh, we're going to call this uh, Toss a Coin. Okay. This is a toss a coin to your witch-out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just picked a bunch of stuff that's like herbs and uh, look like you'd grind it in a mortar and pestle. So there's uh cachaça. A potion. Uh, it is a potion. There's, um, let's see, a half ounce of cachaça. There's a half ounce of honey. Um, there is fresh thyme. There is a half ounce of amaro sabia. There is three-quarters ounce of banal. Um, and there's one other thing, maybe. I don't know. I think that's it. Um... <laughs> Anyways, uh, all together, think like uh, mead, think like a big kind of honey beer is what this drink is, but it's more bitter on the finish. Um, Lemon expression, serve uh, it on rocks, serve it room temperature, whatever. I'll have it here if you want it. Perhaps delicious out there Possibly. dining on a beast's head or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> now, with Drink at Hand, join us as we review eight more of this Wednesday's new comic story The Ludicrous Speed Round.
2: Ludicrous Speed! Go!
0: Quantum and Woody, number one from Valiant. Dr.
1: McNinja creator Christopher Hastings takes over Valiant's most outrageous title alongside art by God Hates Astronauts creator Ryan Brown. The result is an over-the-top masterpiece pitting Quantum and Woody against a nuclear family of super-powered assassins. This is an advanced review... Featuring a worthy continuation of the world's worst superhero team. This comes out uh, January 29th. You should definitely buy it. Quantum and Woody number one is awesome. But well, we're doing advanced reviews now. Look at this. Valiant set it out. Valiant set it out and said, hey, no embargo. Go for it. All right. Whatever.
0: Doctor Who, the 13th Doctor, number one from Titan. Doctor 13, Jodie Whittaker, teams up with Doctor 10, David Tennant, To take down the Weeping Angels in 1960s London, Martha, Ryan, Yaz, and Graham are all along for the ride in writer Jody Hauser's pitch perfect story. Roberta Ingranata is pretty amazing on art, with a style that reminds me of Lenin Old Francis Yu here. This is the kind of art that would have kept me more invested in another book I'm going to review shortly. Ingranata takes what is essentially a lot of smart, snarky Doctor Who dialogue, but she keeps it tight fast-paced and interesting with help from some great colors by Enrica Angiolini. If waiting seven days for the new episode is too long, then pick up the Titan Doctor Who series. You will love it. I'm giving it a buy it. Firefly: The Outlaw Ma Reynolds, a one-shot for Boom. Now
1: I have not followed the current Firefly ongoing since the first few issues, but Writer Greg Pack dropped me right into the middle of the story without allowing me to get lost. This issue fills you in on the current story just enough to follow along and encourages you to pick up the next issue. And while there is some connective tissue to the ongoing series, there's plenty here to enjoy as an as a one-off tale set in the Firefly universe. Pack delivers a perfect tale that somehow works on its own and as a setup for future stories in the main series artists David Jean Felice and George Combatis invoke the spirit of the characters without being beholden to stiff likenesses which I really appreciated the outlaw Ma Reynolds is an excellent one shot for fans of the show teasing a new status quo for what's to come I'm giving it a buy it
0: bonus uh, review I caught up on Greg Pak's Ronan Island. that book rules Greg Pak is a great writer he really is He really is. Star number one from Marvel. Kelly Thompson writes a story that spins right out of the pages of Captain Marvel following Star, the woman that ended up with the reality stone in her chest. And I have to say, I was surprised here. Artist Javier Pina is predictably awesome. But I admit, I fell way behind in Captain Marvel and did not know this character existed. (laughs) So, (laughs) I assume this was another... Marvel hero cut from the same cloth as Spider-Man, willing to do good no matter what, but Thompson wrote a complex character that not only doesn't understand her power, but she's pretty bad at using it as well. Star was a pleasant surprise that portrays a very believable hero making poor choices while learning her power set, but honestly, stick a reality stone in my chest and I would be much worse. I'm giving this a buy it. She was actually a villain, not a hero. Right, she tried to kill Captain Marvel. Yeah, she was a villain pretending to be a hero but apparently she was was misunderstood, and it was like, I don't Eh, know. Something like that, yeah. There's something going on. Right. Star Wars, number one from Marvel. This relaunched
1: series picks up in the moments following Luke's rescue from Bespin in The Empire Strikes Back. The previous series ran 75 issues taking place between A New Hope and Empire, which leads me to ask, is this entire series going to take place while Han Solo is frozen in carbonite? Maybe. We'll see. Charles Soule delivers a tense script with the Rebellion on the run and Luke reeling from what he just learned about his connection to Darth Vader. There are some interesting elements tying this era into the sequel trilogy, like Poe Dameron's parents. Jesus Sayez is amazing on the art duties here, uh, though the space scenes with the ultra-specific line art of the ship designs can be a little stiff. Did Marvel's main Star Wars title need relaunching? Probably not. But Star Wars number one is a great start to the next chapter of these previously untold adventures. I'm giving it a buy
0: it. I'm okay with them restarting if they're going to do it this way. Like the first one was a story that took place here, and then it ends. And the second one's a story that takes place here, and then it ends. I think that's that's kind of sure, cool, Sure, but actually. I mean, it's just called, uh, again, it's just
1: called Star Wars,
0: you know? I mean, I get it. I get it. it, it. But it makes more just, sense than... Another Captain America number one, you know what I mean? I suppose, I suppose. The Clock, number one, from Image slash Top Cow. Matt Hawkins has been quietly writing top-notch, international intrigue-themed comics at Top Cow for years now, and they're always really well-written, plotted, and usually pretty creepy. This latest book follows a researcher working on a super cancer that may wipe out half the population of the world, while everyone from Washington bureaucrats to African warlords are getting in the way. Again, Hawkins lays out a compelling story in a very well-fleshed-out modern-day setting that reminded me of movies like Outbreak and Contagion, but the art did not work for me. When creating these real-world stories, you have to have an artist that can keep the story interesting, and that just wasn't present here. I love the story, but the art did not carry the other half of the weight. I'm giving this a skimmet. Avengers Defenders Tarot number one from Marvel
1: (laughs) Marvel has brought in the legendary Alan Davis for this super old school feeling mini event uniting two classic teams the problem is that his art is nowhere to be found Tarot brings the Avengers and the Defenders together with a dash of the invaders to fight a threat that is familiar and forgotten at the same time This issue feels like it could have been plucked straight out of the 80s or 90s. I would have liked to have said that as a compliment, but Paul Renau's dodgy art really took away from the
0: experience for me. Alan Davis should have drawn this shit. Yeah, I looked at it, and I was like, damn, Alan Davis, this sucks. Yeah, and then was like, Alan Davis was. not Oh, that's not you, Alan Davis? No. It was, like Paul was, it was like Paul Renaud doing an Alan Davis impersonation. Not even, yeah. Very, not very good. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, now, you might find something to enjoy in the throwback storytelling of Tarot, number one, but I just found myself asking why Marvel thought it needed to exist in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm giving it a skimmet.
0: This feels like an old project that they were like, yeah, screw it. Let's punch it up and print it. I just didn't yeah. get it. Like they had like it in it a drawer all. somewhere. Right, totally. exactly. It did nothing for me. Marvel's X, number one from Marvel. Alex Ross and Jim Kruger reteam for the prequel to their now 20-year-old Earth X story. I can't believe it's that old. Wow. Here, the two show us the Marvel U as everyone was gaining superpowers. Everyone but David, that is. David's been scrounging for food for his sister and grandma who are developing powers thanks to the weird cocoon effect that has swept the populace. Artist Wellbe. That's his name. Wellbe, yeah. Could be a codename. I don't know. Does a great job illustrating the ruins of the Marvel U and a nice job bringing the same feel that artist John Paul Leon brought to the original EarthX. It's been a while, but I don't mind revisiting this alternate Marvel future, and I'm on board for more. This was more fun than I thought it was going to be. Give it a buy.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, I did not stick with, uh, uh, with Earth X, but I thought this was really
0: fun. I loved all the Earth X stuff. Loved it all. <laughs> I really did.
1: Boom! Smash, crash! That is your ludicrous speed round, and boom! Smash, crash! That is the sound of Titania punching star out of a picture window and into an alley as seen in the pages of star number one from marvel this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by matt bomb because i forgot to ask for one shame shame very sorry if you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and hey do you want to help stock the ziggurat bar Click our Donate Now button and buy a bottle of booze, why don't you? We'll even mention you in the Cocktail of the Week
0: segment. It's time to visit the THN Sanctum Sphinx Forum, where we gather under the glowing visage of Surger's Crown to warm up and discuss our must-read picks for next week. Joe Patrick, start us off, will you?
1: I gladly will, because this is a mini-series that I am ashamed that I did not mention in
0: this last is, week's Golden Beppo Awards. This is way late, though, right? This got delayed.
1: No, it did not get delayed, it I don't did think. It? No, I don't I think so. Did. Okay. It just uh, feels like
0: it's been around forever.
1: My Well, I mean, a year, yeah. I suppose. My, my pick for next week is Freedom Fighters number 12 from DC Comics, written by Robert Venditti with art by Eddie Barrows. It's 32 pages for three ninety-nine, dollars and here is your solicit. The final showdown between the forces of freedom and the Axis of oppression crashes to a cataclysmic conclusion. Will a fully powered Uncle Sam be enough to stop Cyborg Overman? What dark impulses must Phantom Lady tap into to stop the Plastic Men? That's Cyborg Overman was my nickname in high school, by the way.
0: What's that? Cyborg Overman was my nickname in high school.
1: Uh, Yeah, I figured. Yeah. And dot dot dot. Wait a minute. Did Adolf Hitler the third just
0: murder his own father in cold blood? Adolf Hitler the second? Adolf Hitler the third? No, but I'm saying his father would be the second that he just murdered. Well, yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, you are going to need to read this one to believe it. Look, Freedom Fighters has been one of my favorite DC Comics reads of the past twelve months. I didn't keep up on it.
0: I I, I will oh, sit down and read so it. So good. I, I it's love so Robert good. Vendetti that dude is just kicking ass at dc period but he's doing it quietly i feel like he doesn't have any major headlining jobs right now i totally agree he is doing it kind of on the sidelines yeah uh and if i had been thinking clearly
1: freedom fighters probably would have gotten my favorite mini of 20 uh 2019
0: you weren't thinking clearly i guess i guess i was not (laughs) uh matt Baum, what's your pick for next week are you guys bummed that Christmas is over and New Year's is gone and there's no holidays in sight to celebrate? Well, I've got good news. The Hellboy Winter Special 2019 shows up this week from Dark Horse. It's written by Mike Mignola and Various with art by the same. Here's oh, great. 32 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Celebrate last year's season in true Hellboy <laughs> fashion. Meet a ghostly miser in an alternate reality. Fear the boogam of real New York and embrace the wrath of St. Hagen in this trio of occult winter tales. The familiar faces of Hellboy, Sarah Jewel, and the legendary knights of St. Hagen will help you ring in the new year with all the shivers you can take. And not all of them from the cold. Like This is obviously very late. And I think they are just saying, ship it. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know what happened. We've got this in the drawer. We've got no Hellboy revenue coming in. Put it out. No, I mean, like, they knew. They do this every year. There's a Hellboy winter special every year. For some reason, this one just happened to ship after New Year's (laughs) for some reason. (laughs) I don't know. But they're always great, and I always love them. And this will be a lot Uh, of fun.
1: Yeah, no complaints. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Absolute Carnage. It's the trade paperback from Marvel Comics written by Donny Cates with art by Ryan Stegman. It's 200 pages for $29.99. And here is your solicit. Paint the town red. Blood red. Carnage, the psychotic offspring of Venom, has returned. And he plans to slaughter everyone who's ever worn a symbiote. Cletus Cassidy has skirted the periphery of the Marvel Universe for months, but now he stands poised to make his grand return to New York, and he's more powerful than ever. To make matters worse, a new player is on the board, and it's not who you expect. Spider-Man and Venom must face down Carnage's madness, but things aren't looking good. Barely able to escape with their lives, the uneasy allies have no choice but to drag a slew of other heroes into Carnage's crosshairs. And the hard truth is that not everybody will make it out of this conflict in one piece. Alive, but not in one piece. If they make it out (laughs) at all. This collects absolute carnage, one through five. If you've listened to the show in the last year, you know that despite every impulse in our bodies...
0: We loved Absolute Carnage. It was so good. I cannot stress how good this <laughs> book was. Donny Cates can write whatever he wants. Now, with that said, there is no reason whatsoever to even open a page of the Ruins of Ravencroft bullshit Holy that they are car- doing right now.
1: I like. I got three pages into it, and I garbage. immediately
0: put it down. <laughs> Just garbage. Yes. I mean, but uh, this was wonderful. By absolute, all means, pick Absolute this
1: Carnage, up. the main series, was a ton of of fun. It really was. And it did not deserve to be. And it just, like, I'm reading Venom right now. I'm back on the Venom train right now. And it's Venom on the weird island uh, from that issue of of Amazing Spider-Man 30 years ago (laughs) where Spider-Man faked his death and venom is trying to kill the carnage symbiote like army uh, like uh heart of darkness style running around the jungle with a flamethrower venom that, is fantastic
0: that the comic book is book, fantastic
1: that comic book is better than it has any right to be yeah. and this event
0: was outstanding it really was please read it these are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your lcs next week but we want to hear about your must read picks and your favorite Shriek appearances. So head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you would like to hear us review on this show. And do not forget to pre-order all of your comics every friggin' week.
1: Who the hell is that guy? Every now and again, one of you listeners pipes up on the THN forums asking about obscure characters, and that's exactly what happened recently, two years ago, when Molin Week asked, Who the hell is Red Wolf? Yeah, but he just piped up again. That's why we did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just kept bothering us until we caved. Yeah. So we cracked the whip and got our love slave and THN comic historian Jason Sachs on the case. It's time for another edition of Who the Hell is This Guy with Jason Sachs.
2: Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to the latest episode of Who the Hell is This Guy? This time I'm going to talk about one of Marvel's Z-level heroes, a guy named Red Wolf. Why is Red Wolf a Z-level hero? Well, listen up, true believer, because this story of apathy and neglect is kind of an interesting story. The first appearance of a character named Red Wolf was in Avengers 80, September 1970. That issue by the stellar team of Roy Thomas, John DeSema and Tom Palmer starts well. Introduces comics first true Native American superhero in dramatic fashion as a bare chested leather pants and moccasins wearing hero with a wolf's head mask and a companion gray wolf. He comes charging out of a rainy night at a terrified criminal our hero is a striking figure, albeit one a bit embedded in the cliches of the so-called American Indian of the time, and he joins up with a group of bickering Avengers to fight off a strange menace. It's kind of shocking how much the Avengers bicker in these issues. They just fight and argue and complain at each other. It's it's really weird. Uh, Avengers are supposed to be professionals, right? But no, they bicker about everything under the frickin' sun. Um, But regardless, as Thomas and Buscema reveal the hero's origin, it seems he is an intergenerational hero who is following native traditions to fight for the First Nations peoples. And after a young man's parents are killed, the man who will become Red Wolf dances a dance to revive the spirit of the wolf. In turn, he is granted the traditional costume of his people. That man was called Will Talltrees, and his saga wrapped up for the moment one month later in Avengers 81. A year later, Stan Lee was looking to diversify the Marvel line. In November 1971, the Red Wolf appeared in his own solo story in the anthology titled Marvel Spotlight. But this wasn't Will Talltrees. The stories weren't set in the 1970s. Instead, our hero was named Johnny Wakely, and the stories were set 100 years earlier. Quick tangent here. In November 1971, Marvel published a total of 29 comics. I know it's shocking, 29 total comics. Out of those 29 comics, only 12 were new stories featuring some sort of superhero, including Conan. An additional four comics were Westerns, so it kind of made sense for Marvel to launch the Red Wolf as a Western character. He then vaulted into his own series in May 1972, one of the most ordinary dull comics Marvel published during that time. Johnny Wakely was a decent enough hero, but... His adventures were just kind of meh, kind of ordinary, kind of bottom of the barrel. Sales probably reflected that lack of commitment, because a year later, with issue 7, the Red Wolf was transported, as his cover blurb declared, my favorite cover blurb, maybe of the 1970s. Now, in the Holocaust of today, that Red Wolf was named Thomas Thunderhead and his move to the present did nothing to goose his sales, because his series was canceled within three issues of his move to the present. Another quick tangent here. As far as I know, these comics have never been reprinted, and you may be curious enough about them to eBay them and pick these comics up cheap. They're literally some of the very, very few comics of the 1970s that Marvel published which have never been reprinted. But let me warn you, though. These are as desultory and bland as any Marvel comics you may ever read. They frankly put me to sleep, and Will Talltrees never appeared again. And his mask also changed from the original Red Wolf mask with no explanation. Ah, They're so blah. Red Wolf, in whatever form, made a few more appearances through the years, never making much of an impression as Will Talltrees, he was a supporting character in Tiger's short lived solo series, he showed up in Hulk and Fantastic Four, and the Old West version appeared in the pretty good 2000 miniseries, Blaze of Glory. So it's kind of a surprise to have Red Wolf appear in his own solo series in 2015, written by Nathan Edmondson and drawn by Dalibor Talajic. Hope I said his name right. That hero who flowed out of the Secret Wars event was by far the best depiction of anyone with the Red Wolf name. For one thing, Edmondson and Talajic got rid of the dated wolf's head mask, and for another, they played up the heritage of the character by having him be a good man who was time lost after being transported into the future. This series showed promise as it set the wolf up as a sheriff's deputy in the modern West, but unfortunately, poor sales doomed the title after six issues, and we never quite understood why he was transported from the past to the present. It's available on Marvel Unlimited and well worth a read. Unfortunately, the Red Wolf's heritage as a series killer applied to his most recent series, too. The short-lived Occupy Avengers had maybe the best Red Wolf story ever in its first two issues as Hawkeye and the Wolf teamed up to stop a scam on a Native American reservation. Hawk and Wolf had a great rapport and became good friends as the series went on. There was also a fun running gag with team member Deadly Nightshade thinking the wolf was super sexy, even as his 19th century manners made him oblivious to her advances. It's a cute little tangent, very well done, and um, very kind of empowering for both characters. But sadly, we never quite got to see how a relationship between the two characters would play out, as that series also wrapped up after nine issues with a crossover with Secret Empire. Now, that conclusion of Secret Empire was excellent and had a great culmination of the relationship between Deadly Nightshade and Nighthawk, uh, it's also well worth reading on Marvel Unlimited. It's only nine issues. It's really well written by David Walker. So in the end, the question remains, who the hell is Red Wolf? He may be one of six or seven different men, all from different times and places. But as Nathan Edmondson and David Walker tell us in their respected series, Red Wolf is also a character with the potential to be a great Marvel hero. In the right hands and with the right promotion, he could become the next luke cage a second level character who transcends its roots in cliche to become one of marvel's finest thanks for listening Excelsior. Oh. that is it for thn
0: 557 and next week depending on whether or not the packers beat the seahawks i might be in jail for attacking joe in a drunken rage joey why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? I probably had it coming. I get violent. Come around, yeah, playoffs. Yeah, you do. Here. I you do. do. I drink and I get violent. What can I say? I hear you. I get it. I know that I have a problem, okay? That's my first step. That's, all right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. This
1: week's question was submitted by Harvey Locust via the THN forums. We've all read comics that were based on movies, TV, books, and video games, and we've already talked about our favorites. Now, I want to hear about the worst. What is that one tie-in prequel, sequel, or spin-off of a book, movie, TV show, or video game that you wish you had never read and what made it leave such a bad taste in your mouth?
0: There's so many terrible video game comics. So many. It's true. <laughs> Speaking of which, we also need your question of the week suggestions. Get cute. We love this stuff, and it spurs on the discussion. So, you know, hit us up, kids. If you're new to this show, and you would rather read skate Star Wars scripts that, quote, unquote, Rise of Skywalker, rather than listen to any more, I assure you it's only because you are either an asshole or you just haven't heard enough of THN. Regardless, the good news is you can hear the entire run in our digital long box archive at Two Headed Nerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap, so we want to thank donors like our newest patron, Mark Carrington. What? He that's just right. started donating. That's that floating son if of a bitch.
1: If you recall, last week, uh, Jane Tarrington made a mysterious one-time donation.
0: Oh, and now Mark is a
1: patron, an ongoing patron.
0: Okay, so Jane probably slapped him, made him take it back, and he's
1: that's right, it, isn't it? Got it. All right, they're not getting their money back. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Jimmy Randall and all of our friends in Australia as they deal with the fires devastating their country. Word to you, friends, please be safe. If you'd like to donate to relief efforts for this disaster, please check the links in our show notes. Uh, Jimmy sent some links on the fan page; they were Facebook related. I think that we might have some better direct links to uh, like the Red Cross and things like that.
0: Yeah, it is uh, terrible what's going I w- on out like there. Like
1: it's terrible. Somebody, somebody online, I saw uh, posted uh, an image of the fires in australia superimposed over a map of the united states it's unbelievable yeah it's unbelievable
2: australia is huge
0: (laughs) yeah
1: australia is very large yes uh so please 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 check the show notes donate what you can uh i'll have all of that in the notes i promise thank you jimmy
0: Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just remind you that only you can prevent comic book fires by burning your goddamn stack. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.